is the real bad dudes cast. We all go a little mad sometimes. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Real Bad Dudes Podcast. This is Wolfman from Triple Shot Media, and with always, with me are my good buddies, General Lutz and Rage Killer. The heart today of the group. Are, and today we are following up our Psycho review with Psycho 2. It's 22 years later, and Norman Bates is coming home. I own a motel not too far from here. You'd be welcome to spend the night in one of the empty rooms if you'd like. Good night, Mary. And he's back in business. Who is this? My mother is dead. I'm telling you, there was a note on that wheel from my dead mother. It couldn't be your mother. It had to be someone else. But trust her. She would never do anything to hurt me. No. She'll kill you. I know she will. No, I... I won't do that. You can't make me... Killer. 22 years later, Norman Bates is home. Psycho 2. It's starting again. Basically, it was uh, released in 1983. It was directed by Richard Franklin, who happened to be a student of Alfred Hitchcock. And it was written by Tom Holland. Tom Holland from uh, Rage knows who that is. That's the guy who wrote the stories for things like Fright Night, Child's Play, a lot of classics. Perkins, Robert Loggia, and Meg Tilly. The uh, movie takes place 20 years after the first film. It's 22. Right. For 22 years. It's pretty much Norman Bates getting released from the mental institution. He's been declared legally sane. Loomis is pretty much still on a ventral streak after the death of her sister, Marion Crane. And the whole aim of the movie is, is basically Lila is trying to bring Norman's past back at him and drive Norman crazy so that he's committed for life. Now, one of the things I found kind of funny about this particular film is it goes to show you that there's a lot of gray area when it comes to a lot of these things. On the one hand, does Norman even deserve a normal life for killing all those people, but is driving him crazy? Is that really justified in any way? And in all reality, who's the crazy one here? Norman, or the ones wanting to drive an mm. obvious convicted killer to go kill again? Mm. Well, that's the topic of 
whether or not you believe in rehabilitation, you know, some people are for it and there's some people who are just totally against it. You know, 22 years, though, was a long time. Uh, so felt that it was a very good launching pad for the script because at that point you're automatically grabbing the audience by saying that Norman does, yeah, deserve a chance at a normal life. Or it also just raises the question right out of the gates. Is Norman truly cured or is, or, or can you cure crazy? Right. Morally what's right and what's wrong. And it, it that that's the perfect launching pad for this movie. Mm-hmm. Aside, um, who would recommend this movie? Who would not recommend this movie? Um, I would one hundred percent recommend this movie. This is exactly what a sequel should do. Um, I think this is just as good as the original. So I'm definitely giving it a full one hundred percent recommendation. My biggest problem with this movie is the fact that it's in color. I mean, come on, people. Do we really need colors? Black and white is really the best way to make a horror film. I mean, before too long, they can be putting sound in... Wait, no, that, that, that they came out wrong. Yes, I, of course, recommend the movie. Actually, no, I don't recommend it. Watch the remake. It better. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yes, I, of course, recommend this film. Uh, as uh, Rage said, it is everything a sequel should be. However, my my legitimate problem with the movie is I feel it should have been its own thing. It shouldn't have been Psycho 2. It had a good enough plot that you really could have renamed Norman Bates to Borman Blates, and you still would have had a compelling character, and you wouldn't constantly be hidden by the shadow of Psycho 1. When you hear, oh, Psycho 2, that movie that came out 20 years later, that's got to be shit you're not going to really be inclined to watch it or give it a chance. And I think it, it, it's it's unfairly obscure. You know, when you have horror franchises like Psycho, like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, you always just assume that the sequels are going to be terrible because you look at, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday, Halloween, each sequel got progressively worse. And then in some of the franchises, it got better towards the end. And with Psycho, the second sequels, or the, the first sequels actually legitimately good and i think it could have held its own had it just been named crazy guy gets made crazier it's actually an excellent point um right off the bat uh, this is absolutely a recommend if you it's like i said with psycho if you haven't seen this you need to go see it this is truly one of the best films that uh have ever been put together especially when it comes to a sequel uh counterpoint to what lot said it's a fantastic point that yeah this movie should have been its own thing it could have definitely stood on its own. But I think that uh, making this a sequel to Psycho 2 made it all the more better just on the basis of Norman. Yeah, you had a perfect script and a great launching pad for the question of, you know, is a crazy person, you know, beyond redemption. But just the fact that we know Norman Bates and we know these characters and we know the, you know, the settings, everything. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. The first movie, Norman was straight up the villain. During a time where there was very little sympathy for people with mental disorders, and also the people were pretty um, apt at looking down on Norman's uh, lifestyle, so to say. So there was very little sympathy for that character. 
So you kind of go into this movie wanting to not like Norman, but as the movie progresses, at least in my eyes, when you see the shit that they put Norman through, you feel sorry for the poor bastard. Mm. And I think that that makes it all the more powerful. Mm-hmm. You could have any psycho and try to redeem him, but if you have a psycho that you know, that you've seen what he has done and why he did it and, and just how fucked up he is, you, you had his backstory 22 years ago. And now you watch his attempts at redemption and how society is just trying harder and harder to dredge his past up and throw it on him. I think the fact that we know the past just makes it more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to add uh, the movie, before we go into spoilers, I, I definitely like to add the movie perfectly makes you feel uh, empathy for Norman and uh, Lila and her daughter, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of feel bad for all these characters because they all more or less went through horrible things, you know, and um, also, uh, you know, I got to say, this is another one of those examples where it's bullshit that uh, horror uh, actors don't get nominated because Anthony Perkins, man, holy moly, does he, yes. does he, oh, he, he, did. he does it better. And so, I mean, he just improves the Norman Bates character so much, it was just like, damn. Especially when, you know, that that title, Psycho 2, starts to come into play later on. I don't want to spoil anything, but man, oh man, shiver down my oh, spine. But, you know, that, that, that that's absolutely true. Um, Took a 23-year a break from playing Norman Bates, and he slipped into the role like... Right. Well, to be fair, he was kind of typecast throughout his career, too. Yeah, Pretty much could have very like easily just phoned it in. It's like, I'm not Norman Bates. Screw you. I'll take the paycheck and do a terrible right. job. Oh, well, oh, that's uh, something we should bring up. Uh, I know we said trivia at the end, but still, this originally was going to be a TV-made movie. In fact, I believe Christopher Walken was like set to play Norman Bates, so Anthony Perkins stepped in and was like, uh... I'm down to play Norman Bates. Let's uh, let's actually make a real sequel here. So that's just a little fun. Yeah, something to, to know about. Totally spot on with that. Christopher Walken was in the running to replace Anthony Perkins, <laughs> and then Anthony Perkins was like, "Oh, I'm I'm happy to do it." Yeah. There, there was a lot of um, uh, worry about starting this movie just on the basis that this was a Hitchcock movie, and Hitchcock had long since passed, and um, someone got in touch with his daughter. And, and asked for her blessing, and she gave it wholeheartedly and said that her father would have loved this movie. You know, so right. I, that's a pretty heavy endorsement, personally. Yeah, because it's actually good. Right. Million dollar budget movie to open up second behind Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they could have just did the same thing again, really. And, you know. A remake will, as they do today, where, you know, it's 20 years after the fact. Let's just do the first movie again, but say it's a sequel, you know. Yeah. The second uh-huh. that you see Tom Holland attached to it, you know there's going to be quality. Right. What's actually kind of funny, though, is every time you say Tom Holland, today, people yeah. will know him. The actor who plays Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, now the guy the guy did get de-aged, you know, changed out the blood, took a few uh, decades off his life to become Spider-Man, and he did the transition well. But uh, that's another thing I have to say about Psycho 2 is that it does subvert expectations because they do kind of trick you at first. You think, like, you know, is this going to be the same movie again? But luckily, you know, anyways, I think we should get into spoilers. 
yeah. hell of a whodunit movie. Right. All right, so moving on, um, if you have not watched the movie yet and you're interested in watching it like we have recommended that you watch it, please go watch it and come back, and then, you know, that way you can sit there, listen to us blab, and go, yeah, they're kind of right about this. All right, so the movie basically starts off with a complete reshowing of the shower scene from the first one, one of the most iconic scenes in film history. And then it cuts to 22 years later, which is set um, uh, in a courtroom where Norman Bates has been deemed cured of his insanity and he's accepted that his mother is totally dead and not living in his mind. So the judge immediately, go on and live your life, stay out of trouble, yada, yada, yada. Loomis immediately gets up and starts throwing a total shit fit about this because she's not a fan of the idea of Norman Bates being released. She's got signatures from relatives of people that he had murdered over the decades. And the judge basically said, you know, hey, he's been deemed sane. You can't do anything about it. He was insane when he did it. Pretty much our springboard for the plot. So Norman meets a psychiatrist who is played by Robert Loja, Bill Raymond. So Dr. Bill Raymond takes uh, Norman back to his old house where you're already getting that feeling, wow, I'm back here again. And it's it's pretty much a nice welcome home surprise for everybody else that's watched the original. And I'd, I'd imagine seeing this for the first time, it was a nice welcome back. Norman's sanity has been tested constantly left and right. He gets a job at a diner where he's working with a woman named Emma Spool. And there's also a waitress at the diner named Mary Samuels. And pretty much Norman is just trying to go about his life and, and be a normal person. He goes back to the hotel. He finds out that it's run by a man named Toomey, who's played by Dennis Franz, who's turned this respectable little murder hole into essentially a one-night stand spot. Uh, so essentially, um, Norman Bates starts taking charge. He fires Toomey because of the motel dealing drugs. And Norman seems to be getting into society pretty well. And then he starts getting phone calls and he gets notes from mother at the house and at the diner. And it all comes to a head when during one day, a drunk Toomey comes in, starts picking a fight with Norman, and also picks a fight with Mary, because Mary, been with the notion that she had just been thrown out of her house, she has nowhere to go, Norman tries to be kind and offers her a place to stay, and immediately Mary spaces out on him and leaves. And it turns out later that it's just his past is coming back to him. Mary's afraid to be around him, and just suddenly disappearing and winding up in the swamp. Toomey's running around you know, criticizing him and pointing out all the things that he did to the townsfolk. And pretty much shortly after, Toomey gets stabbed to death in a in the motel as he's leaving. General Lots. I was gonna wait. I was gonna let Rage Kill take the. I love the character of uh, Mary, uh, played by uh, Meg Tilly. Um, I think she helps. Uh, you know, sort of helps humanize uh, Norman. You're with her. In her fear of him as well. As for me, the thing, there's a wide variety of things that I found kind of funny in places and uh, things that really get you thinking as well. For one, you know, when he's declared legally sane, the first thing I thought of was the uh, Simpsons episode where Homer gets committed. And not me, I got this. Exactly. And then, like, he meets Michael Jackson. That's the first thing that kind of came to mind. Uh, but, you know, then. It really didn't get me thinking. It's like, well, you know, Norman Bates. Now, I'm not what you'd call that sympathetic to people who kill other people. But in the film, it's like, well, you know, he was technically sane when he did it. And is it a net good to keep him locked up if he's no longer insane? 
And is it a net good to, you know, give him the death penalty or something like that? Because if he's actually going to go out and be a productive member of society, you know, is that a net loss? You can sympathize. It really makes the whole concept kind of gray because it's like you don't want to trust Norman Bates because you know what he's capable of. But at the same time, you know, you see that he's not crazy. And it's sort of like the, the thing is both sides have a point. The families of the dead individuals don't want him out because it's like, well, you know, I had a member of my family murdered by this guy. Why should he have a life, whereas my, you know, kid or sister or whatever doesn't? And then it's like, well, but if you if you kill Norman, then you've, have you actually done anything good? Hmm. It's one of those. It, it's the, it's a never-ending debate of you know the death penalty. It's like, are you getting a net good if the person can change? Well, it's one of those things. Where, he wouldn't get the death penalty anyways because of being insane. That's true, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Life uh, in prison. So, <laughs> right. And the one thing I did kind of did find kind of incongruous is though giving a, is him getting a, a a job in a diner though. You know, it's like if you know this guy has the capacity to kill people, you'd probably want to give him a job away from the public. You know, make him a librarian, not a librarian, make him like a a stalker or something, something where he's not around people all the time. Well. But that's it's not a very big town. It's a really cool reference because that's the diner that he mentions in the first film. I know. I'm just saying it's like logically, should he be around the public, especially at a diner where everyone's gonna like push him around and yell at him and stuff like that? It's like it's like putting the incredible Hulk in a subway. I mean, are you sure that's a good idea? Yeah, he was doing good at the diner before, you know, getting notes and dealing with drunk assholes and stuff. So, uh, right off the bat, at this point in the movie, I love the pacing that they're doing with it. We're being introduced to a multiple bunch of characters, but it's not really rapid fire. We're getting a chance to revisit the older characters while being introduced to new characters. And it does a very, very good job of it, of setting everything up. I really can't find any fault with it at all at this point so far. It does definitely set the question of the reoccurring theme throughout the movie. Is Norman right in the head now? Or, you know, or is it right for people to continue tormenting Norman? And it's done so well that the entire town is practically split on it, where you have, you know, the sheriff saying, hey, why don't you give the poor guy a break? So it's, it, I'd say at this point, it's already off to a fantastic start. Right. Uh, it's also surprising... Uh... It well, of course, it's movie horror movie logic, but the fact that well, that and where else would he go? But uh, the fact that you know he gets uh, his old house back after twenty something years. But the doctor does mention that even he thought it was kind of a bad idea to have him go back to his old house. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't just demolish the bloody thing along <laughs> with the entire motel because it's like, in many respects, that would be kind of tainted by that point. Because well, on the one hand, you know it could be a tourist trap. <laughs> yeah, you think about it. It's like, wouldn't you want to stay in the Murder Bates Motel? I mean, it's like yeah. like 60 people got killed there, man. We got to go see it. Just remember to tell yourself to relax, and it's just a movie. <laughs> just repeat to yourself. Anyway. I think in the book, wasn't it the second book he went to Hollywood? Or second or third yeah. book. So, you know, they don't want it. So I'm fine with uh, him going back to uh, his old house. Uh, yes, I mean, going to Hollywood, that's a little silly. <laughs> a little out there. No, I mean, um, something I forgot to mention, the characters themselves. Norman, once again, we know what his issue is, we know what his struggle is. And Lila Loomis, we can completely understand where she's coming from. Right. It's in the right place, the execution really sucks. 
Um, Mary Samuels described her perfectly. Heart of gold, but head of wood. Really been able to draw so much of a, an inkling as to her personality. Dr. Raymond, that he genuinely wants to help Norman and that he really cares about him. This isn't just, oh, great, I got this fucking guy. This is someone who, you know, you, you get the impression. It's, it, a good chunk of it is Robert Loge's great acting. It's just that this man really wants to help Norman get through. Right. And then, of course, we have Toomey, who is probably one of the most fucking hilarious characters I've ever seen in a horror movie whatsoever. <laughs> Rant that he does outside the house. Ah, you loony! <laughs> you had a good time. What did yours get? Dead! Murdered by you, you loony! <laughs> and then the phone calls start happening. And that, that, that to me, it was definitely an oh shit moment for me when, when Toomey died. Because you got uh, Toomey outside, loaded, banging on the horn. Ah, you loony, I'm out of here, you loony! And then you got Norman looking out the window and then just, bastard. And then you see the boots. And then Toomey turns around and you see the knife slash and cut his face open. And just, damn. So right off the bat, Toomey's been wiped out. So the, the, the characters so far, I feel, are pretty great. So as the movie's progressing along, Mary starts to feel more and more sympathetic towards Norman. Because you can tell that Norman is definitely starting to struggle with keeping his sanity going. And while Norman is repainting the motel, he starts hearing voices in the house. Uh, he goes into his mother's bedroom, and then it looks totally made up. And it was definitely an interesting, shocking scene. To the attic, he suddenly gets locked in, and then we're treated to a shot of a couple breaking in through the downstairs window to go smoke a joint and have some alone time. This this, this scene definitely stuck out to me as a kid. It was when they heard a noise in the other room, they look out, and then they see a woman wandering around the basement cliche slips at the last possible second and gets stabbed repeatedly to death right. while his finger that was a pretty jarring image to me as a kid that, that that's one of those things that it definitely stayed with me mm. so the the girl managed to escape she went to the cops cops come and it's a typical do you know anything about what's going on here and norman i have no idea and then this is where we start to get the idea that something is not as it seems because Mary is saying that the attic door was never locked. Norman fell asleep and, well, I usually black out before, before the rags in the toilet. Mary's wandering around starting to actually think that Norman isn't doing it until she goes down to the motel where she's confronted by Lila Loomis, who also turns out to be her mother, where they start to get into a huge argument about picture is you know i don't feel that it's right that we do this to this man he's really trying to be better well you remember what he did to your aunt how do right. we feel about this part i think it's one of those things where it actually kind of reminds me it's kind of tangentially of the uh film unforgiven the clint eastwood one the, the whole the, ba the main idea of unforgiven is that no one can forgive anything even when the other side is trying to uh uh, make up for past mistakes. And, you know, in this, the inability to let go of the past is a major issue. It's like, they keep bringing up the past, but they're the ones being the cretins in the present. Yes. And I think 
you know, it just goes to show you that people use any sort of justification necessary to justify their own bad behavior. And I think this is around the part where it's like, I, I did kind of start to feel bad for Norman in some respects. Because he comes off as, you know, I don't want to say kind of clueless, but kind of like caught between, caught in like this web of some description. Yeah. He's also a bit stunted in his growth because of the fact that, that he hasn't really had too much exposure to the real world and being sheltered, you know. And then he finally gets a chance to live a life and he can't because, well, Lila can't live her life, you know. She wants uh, the monster uh, put back in his cage because, you know, she's pretty much traumatized, you know, every, like every day for the last 22 years over the death of her sister and stuff. Well, it's kind of funny pretty now. Much, Can I go on? Pretty much this area of the film, I it's... Now, now we're starting, like I said, we're starting to show the seeds that things aren't what they seem. Now, now we're finding out that this is all a big plot by Lila and Mary to get back at Norman for what he did to Mary and Crane. And I, I think it's done very, very, very well. Like I said, the, the, the imagery was very, very jarring, especially to me as a kid. So it, it was definitely memorable. And once again, all I can say is just this movie was paced perfectly. And I don't want to constantly repeat myself every time we stop to describe it. So... Once again, paced excellent, and this is the last time I'm going to say it. But yeah, it, it, now we're definitely starting to push the narrative right to be fucking with Norman. Because now, you know, Norman, you really start to feel bad for at this point. Because you can tell that he's really, really trying at this point. Just everybody's starting to weigh on him. And now that bodies are turning up in places, and he's starting to doubt his sanity, you can literally feel the strength draining from him throughout this entire movie. Right. And it's like, I guess for me, it's like, as that goes on, it's like, you know, if you want to kill the guy, just do it. Don't keep dragging it out like this. It's like, it goes beyond just, I want to get revenge for my sister being killed to a type of cruelty that even Norman didn't. Norman, you know, he was a killer, but he wasn't a, he wasn't a sadist. <clears throat> well, I, well, you know, Lila got pissed when uh, Mary, you know, lied for Norman. You know, when she's like, oh, you kind of got locked up, you know, how how could you do this? Yeah, they're, they're, they did a really good job of almost making Lila an out-and-out -out villain in the movie. It, it's just, all we have to do is just do a couple more things, and he'll completely go crazy, and then he'll be gone forever. Yeah. And Lila bring up a fantastic point. Why not just fucking kill the guy? And the, the point is brought up even later in the film. I was crazy when I did those things. What's your excuse? Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a question you ask as you watch the movie. Why doesn't Lila do that? Because you think that maybe Lila is the one committing the murders at first, you know. Yeah, once it, once it starts coming out, that's when it becomes a, uh, a bit of a whodunit. <laughs> Not so much like Clue, but it's definitely pretty well done because if you have... Uh, Mary, who's sitting there sticking up for Norman, saying he was locked in that attic the whole time that this boy died. You start to wonder, did Lila, in fact, go ape shit and start doing this stuff? Right. But it's done really, really well. Um, and Dr. Raymond figures out who Mary is, confronts her about it, and 
lose it even more. He gets another visit from Dr. Raymond. And this is when Dr. Raymond, you know, says, if I show you that your mother is dead, because now Norman is starting, well, my mother, she's calling me. She's telling me to do these things. Only my mother would leave me these notes. And, and this is when they exhume uh, Norman's mother's casket. Right. Winkle blue dress. Got to admire the attention to detail there. Mm-hmm. And then later he's like, you know, telling him like, well, that's because she's not my mother. And that's when Norman starts talking about his real mother. Right. And that's when things start getting really, really creepy. And it's just the movie progresses, progresses. And then it all comes to a head when Lila was retrieving the mother costume that she hid in the basement. And then another stabs her right in the fucking mouth with a butcher knife. Oh, Holy shit. Was I not expecting that? Right. That was, she got the man. She'd gotten a brutal death for sure. That was the best effects I had seen at that point in my life. Right. I'm not gonna lie. I literally, in my mind, when I saw that, um, you know, from uh, uh, Unreal Tournament, Monster Kill, that would have oh. played in my mind when I saw that. <laughs> uh, uh, Monster Kill. Yeah. Too bad these days it looks kind of rubbery at first, but oh well. Well, it's the thing. It's one of those issues of Blu-ray versus uh, DVD versus VHS. Right. I think it's one of those instances of it probably would have looked better on VHS or DVD, but when you're watching it, you know, on Blu-ray, yeah, it, you can kind of tell. It's kind but, of a fitting death because she was a loud mouth, and now maybe she'd shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's uh, fucking brutal. <laughs> that was a brutal, brutal death. And while this is going on, the, the sheriff and company are dredging the swamp, and this is when they pull out Toomey's car. Right car they open up the trunk they find toomey's body in oh, there gotta add that detail i really liked uh when norman is slowly like snapping if you notice his wardrobe kind of changes like he's sort of wearing that purple shirt and stuff and then like and then when he starts to become more crazy he kind of dresses in black which was a kind of a nice touch you know i didn't notice that until you brought it up yeah I'm better touch that while all that was going on he was playing the flight of the bumblebee on the piano which uh it, 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 it essentially signifies the descent into madness. Mm. Sonata, the flight of the bumblebee. That was a nice little subtle touch there. Right. And they open up the trunk. They find the body in there. Mary comes down and has a nice talk with the sheriff where the sheriff says, I think you and your mother need to leave now. We may be a little slow down here, but it doesn't mean that we're stupid. Right. <clears throat> in any law. No, not any on the books, but... Um, I think you, when it comes to things that are right and wrong, you guys have pretty much broken a lot of those, haven't we? So I, that, that to me was a great back and forth dialogue right there. Yeah, the sheriff was like the most humanizing defensive character of Norman. Oh, totally. He was definitely Norman's best uh, defender there. And, and the thing was, is it wasn't even blind. It was logical. And that's what made it perfect to me. So Mary runs upstairs, tells Norman it's time to leave. Then the phone starts ringing, and uh, lo and behold, it's uh, Mother on the phone. Right. Yeah, and then, like, of course, she picks up and, like, yeah, at that point it was hung up, but he's still talking, I believe, right? Then but, she runs upstairs and starts yeah. talking to him. Uh, well, no, Mother, that's, I don't know who that was. 
So th this is when you can tell that things are really, really, really starting to go downhill for everybody. I can't kill her. <laughs> trying to convince Norman that, that her mother is dead and that this is all made up in his mind. Suddenly, Dr. Raymond pops up around the corner thinking that he caught her in the act. Chief panics and stabs him in the heart and then lands knife hilt first on a railing. That Jesus scene Christ. was brilliantly shot because at first it's a fake out. You think he's going to fall backwards down the stairs like in the first film. And then he falls over the railing. And then, yeah, that knife just hits that rail. It was just like, ah, like grab my chest. I was like, oh, that would that would hurt so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Visually jarring stuff. And it's yeah. and it's another poor bastard that just wanted to help Norman. And what a way to go. Right. And then uh, and then Mary tries to defend herself from Norman, who just completely snapped. Comes and I, to me, that personally was the moment when Norman absolutely, totally snapped. He was losing it. He was losing it. He was losing it. And then seeing a dead body on the ground, especially one that I guess you could consider a friend of his and Marie and not Marie, but Mary in her dress with the wig, with the knife. That it's almost like since we want to do substance references, watch this. You can actually pinpoint the second when his sanity snaps. <laughs> and now, yeah. Oh, they're 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 coming for you. We I, well, we have to get you down to the fruit cellar. And now Mary is starting to lose her shit just as well. He's trying to grab her to take her down to the cellar. Yeah, and she's like uh, stabbing him repeatedly on the hands and stuff out of him uh, especially the part with the when he grabbed a hold of it with his hands yeah oh <laughs> i remember looking away as a kid and just <sighs> just wow that's it they, they work their way down to the basement and norman has been completely disabled from blood loss and getting the shit stabbed out of him i don't even know how many times he got stabbed with that fucking knife falls down Mary's about to stab him because she came across the corpse of her mother right. and thinking that him who did it, she became fully convinced that Norman was doing all the murders. And that's when the cops managed to break down the door at the very last second and blow Mary away. Yeah. Oh, wow. The whole, that whole scene was edited perfectly. It was just freaking intense and everything just flowed perfectly. And then you're just kind of sitting there on the edge of your seat, like, holy crap. And then your jaw just kind of just drops. And you're like, wow. <laughs> I think you're next. Uh, the film you're next, I think, took a little inspiration from that ending. It wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. I think that this is the end of the movie. Things are good to go. Norman's trying to move along, make himself a, you know, a nice peanut butter sandwich. A dressed figure walking up the steps. What an ominous tone. I think we got the knock on the door. We open up the door. And who is there but Miss Emma Spool, who turns out to be the most batshit fucking woman you have ever seen in your life. Because she is the one who essentially started the whole thing by telling Norman, well, I'm your real mother. The woman that you knew is your mother, Norma Bates. She was my sister. I was committed and she stole her from me. So nine in a cup and fucking whacks her right over the head with the shovel in one of the most <laughs> unbelievingly convincing scenes. I cannot even see the cut it, it, you know, in between the person and the dummy. Right. And the fact that once you get that plot detail, you're just like, 
Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't even done bad or tacked on. It was just no lady in the background. And I mean, hell, we don't even know if she's telling the truth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, although it's well, at this point, we we find out more to the story later on in the yeah. sequel. At this point, it's just you know that this woman's off a bit too. Right. This little old woman in the background. And this is when Norman just picks her up, tries to bring her upstairs, and then all of a sudden, put me in my chair. Right. I keep my eyes on you. <laughs> Go downstairs and turn the hotel on. What do you expect us to live on? Hope? Yes, yeah. mother. Would you get one of the the best eerie shots of the entire movie of yes. just him walking out? It's like perfect like lighting the clouds the mother in the window vacancy light popping on yeah the darkness and that is psycho too folks now you could kind of argue that maybe that's kind of where the movie kind of wobbles a bit the fact that we're supposed to believe that endless fool is able to kill and move all like move uh like Warren's body in the trunk and stuff, being an old lady, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, some old ladies are tough. Right. Maybe mass. she's just really tough. Uh, oh, it's not like she was like a decrepit old woman. Right. And plus, you have to look at the body count in this movie. How many people would this Emma Spool woman have killed? One, two. She killed a teenage boy. So right. she killed a drunk man and, and a teenage boy. Right. Who else died? And. Did I miss anybody? Um, because Dr. Raymond was well, killed by Mary. Lila, of course. And Lila Loomis, yeah. Yeah, so drunk guy, Lila that she drug and I guess threw a bunch of coal over. And then... uh, he didn't get the jump on the two. Right. I guess it works. I guess it's, it's nowhere... It's uh, no uh, less silly than if you think about like Pamela Voorhees and Fire 13 pinning up teenagers to cabin doors and stuff. It's one of those things you kind of just get. Your old women and walkers and shit. Yeah. Uh, But that's only. That's not really a. I'm not saying it's a huge complaint or anything. It's still. uh, We're we're looking for a logic here, and I can understand that. Right. But I don't mean to be all logical, because at the end of the day, you just have to say, hey, it's it's a horror movie. It can get away with it. Repeat to yourself, it's just a show. Yeah. You should probably just relax. <laughs> um, Logic don't live here no more. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the other characters, yeah, I gotta give credit to uh, Meg Tilly, you know, Jennifer Tilly's sister. She did great in the role. Uh, yeah. And I had heard, because uh, I guess when they were, they were raised as kids, they didn't watch TV or anything. And like VHS rentals wasn't really a thing, so I guess she she hadn't seen Psycho, and she made some joke like, "What's the big deal of Psycho?" or something like that. And at least I heard that that upset Norman Bates, and I guess I guess he wanted her fired. So I guess they had bad blood behind the scenes. But but I was gonna say, even if there was some kind of upset thing going on, man, they both hit it out of the park on screen. Um, I know originally they wanted uh, Jamie Lee Curtis to play Mary. That would be pretty damn good, actually. 
Uh, do, does anybody know any movies that Meg Tilly was in? Um, I know, unlike her sister Jennifer, Meg, I guess, did more serious stuff, while Jennifer would do more kind of comedies and whatnot. I just remember her from Body Snatchers, and that was it. Oh, maybe. I mean, she does look. I mean, she definitely does look like her sister for sure. Um, yeah. But um, I, I that, that's the only movie that I personally remember her being in was Body Snatchers and Psycho Two. Right. I know. I was trying to find like interviews of her talking about Psycho Two, but I couldn't really find anything. So I, I feel Meg Telly did a fantastic job. Uh, Anthony Perkins, like I said, totally the star of this movie. I mean, he slipped right back into the role, and he did not miss a beat. And he was on the entire movie. Right. It's just, whatever they wanted us to feel about the character of Norman Bates, you definitely felt it, and his, and his innocence and, and his pure acting was just, you, you felt it all the more. If you wanted to feel bad for this character, Anthony Perkins made you feel twice as bad. Right. So, uh, Robert Loja did a fantastic job as a doctor. And once again, you got that genuine feeling that this doctor really, really gave a shit about Norman. And not many people really did. True, true. And then, of course, you got Dennis Franz as Warren Toomey, who, like I said, is a pretty hilarious character. That drunken rant was just priceless. You know, of course, remember Dennis Franz if he was in NYPD Blue. Yeah, yeah. And of course, who could forget Vera Miles as Lila Loomis? It was quite a contrast for me because I did not have the 22-year time gap between the two movies. I just grew up watching the movies. Watching, you know, Psycho 1 and seeing her character of Lila as just like a strong-headed woman. And then you see her character in this one, and you're like, you're a bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. That's true. Like, the more and more you see her, you're just like, what a fucking asshole you are. Oh, all we have to do is a couple more things, and then we'll drive him crazy for good. You know? But it's not like she's being petty. I mean, her sister was killed. Yeah. And... But... <sighs> Same time. She's certainly do- doing it in a very petty way. You know, I think... Oh, I think... She should have just gotten a gun and blown the son of a bitch away if she felt that strongly about it. But then again, who would be the number one suspect with all the noise that she's been making? Right. True, but at the same time, what she's doing is in, is infinitely more cruel. And, you know, there's no guarantee that she's going to survive that. I mean, if Norman goes nuts and she's in the wrong place at the wrong time, there's a good chance she's going to get stabbed. She did. <laughs> so, yeah. What she ended up doing is... Uh, Having a self-fulfilling prophecy, if she'd done nothing, she would not be dead, and a lot of people would still be alive. Well, we also don't we don't know how many times she actually called Norman versus how many times uh, uh, Miss Fool did. I think it was a combined effort of all three of them. I think she had Meg do most of the work. I mean, uh, uh, Mary do most of the work. Uh, you yeah, know, that seems to be the case. And, I mean, all in all, what does this movie really break down to is the question of, is, you know, is a crazy person beyond redemption? Or at some point, can you snap them out of it? Are they accountable for their actions? 
should people learn you know forgiveness and sort of things these ask very very important questions and nobody is wrong in how they feel about this there are people who can't get over it and you can't just say well yeah he killed your sister but get over it you can't do that person imagine if that was your sister or your child you sure as shit wouldn't forget about it and you would want to get revenge as well and then at the same time with norman you know it's like well think of how fucked up his childhood was and then you know he lost his mind and then he spent 22 years care incarcerated yeah you know and we don't know too like how much when he think like when he thinks back of his childhood and stuff how much is actually true or how much isn't just twisted in his mind anyways? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think too. Like, uh, or how much bad writing they've inserted into the movie to make it even worse. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, a really good question. And once you're done with the movie, it, it's definitely one of those topic opener type of movies where after the movie, you're like, how do you think this would have wound up if they did this? Right. Norman have been fine. Would Norman have eventually snapped again? Or, you know, and it's like, personally, I think Norman was struggling with his sanity the whole time. And then just seeing over the doctor's body was just what made it permanent. At the same time, would Emma Spool have started her shit on her own and eventually driven him nuts at the same, you know, too? It's just, it, it, there's a lot of questions. And right. It's, it's all speculative stuff, but I think it's nice, healthy movie debating stuff that not many movies really get you to do anymore. Well, because I mean, if left the poor bastard alone, he would have probably been fine. Right. But the ironic thing is, is that driving herself crazy trying to drive Norman crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Mary, whole life. She's been having this shit shoved down her throat, you know, that Norman Bates is evil, Norman Bates is bad, and it was even mentioned in dialogue earlier in the movie. I have done everything that you have asked me to do. I have signed every form you've asked me to sign. I've shown up to every hearing that you've told me to sign. I've done everything that you've wanted me to do to keep him in jail, and now I'm sick of it. I've never had a chance to live my own life because you can't get over your sister's death. Right. So it... It, all in all, it's a very, very tragic tale for a lot of characters. It's tragic for Lila, it's tragic for Mary, and it's tragic for Norman. And those are probably the two most pathetic characters out of the whole deal is Norman and Mary, because they just got dragged into this shit because their parents are fucking nuts. It does beg the question of, like, what could the state have done to keep that from happening? You know, and I think they were a little too trusting with Norman anyway. I get that he was incarcerated for 22 years, but I think throwing him back out into the world just on his own might not have been a very good idea. I get that it costs money, but... That's what they do in the world, my friend. What? Every day in the world, my friend. As soon as your time is fuck you, you're out. It is something kind of scary when you think about it. They just toss him out there, and it's like, what do you expect sometimes, you know? That's Yeah, usually what they do is they'll just send like like a cop or something to check on them once in a while. Yeah, but that's what the doctor's job was, is he right. was always checking in on him and looking out for him. Right. And, I mean, he really went above and beyond for Norman, because once he found out that Norman was getting screwed with, he, yeah, I, I, he found out who Mary was. He found out who Lila was. He found out everything. And then right. he went in the house. He picked up the phone. He's like, Norman, 
this is me. You know, he was always checking on Norman. So, you know, that kind of wipes out the question of, well, if Emma Spool had started her shit, just left them alone, would Norman have gone crazy? Who knows? But, I mean, at least Dr. Raymond was always there and always trying. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they should have had a move to a different town or something. <laughs> yeah, well, then we wouldn't have had a movie. And for, but for the most part, the, the script is pretty solid. Uh, is the audience... Because you know, as an audience member, there's just so much, you know, this is like the perfect movie to make for an audience because you just don't know where it's going to go next. Absolutely. And the, the thing is, is that the script is definitely solid. It, it's, um, hey, it's Tom Holland, the guy did Fright Night. What more can I say? Right. But in all seriousness, I love movies where once it's over with, you can sit down and you can have a, a nice, healthy debate about the characters themselves. Because it means that you've truly gotten, as an audience member, invested into these characters. Mm-hmm. And once again, this is one of those movies where you can't sit down and just give it a simple black and white answer. And no matter who is debating what, everybody's right. And at least the movie didn't doesn't beat you over the head with uh, callbacks. They do a few callbacks, but it's not it's not as bad as it could have been. I mean, they, they do like a reference to the shower scene and stuff. When Mary goes into the shower? Yeah. You were kind of expecting that. Though. Right. What did they really do? Only they had to 80s fight it so we could see her ass and boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing that they really did was they just showed you a recap of the first movie. Right. And then is wandering through the house you know you see little snippets of things here and there voices that he hears though again i was expecting the doctor to uh fall down the steps so falling down the steps like this is my final form of falling down the fucking <laughs> steps i gotta uh also mention the camera work of this movie is excellent uh, Cundy. like there's a lot of really cool over the you know like overhead shots and stuff. That... It's a combination of Dean Cundy, who I'm a fan, would definitely remember. And even the director, Richard Franklin himself, he was a huge, huge fan of Alfred Hitchcock. Right. So he wanted to do, may have studied under Hitchcock or one or the other, but he definitely wanted to do his idol proud. And I think he did it fantastically. So much, in fact, that when Norman goes in the mother's bedroom, did you notice uh, Hitchcock's silhouette on the wall? Yeah. I actually didn't. And uh, the Alfred Hitchcock silhouette on the wall in the shadow. When talking about Hitchcock sequels, the best way I could say this is Psycho 2 was amazing. And it wasn't the 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 only other movie they tried to make a sequel was The Birds. And well, The Birds 2 was not uh, not good at all. (laughs) So at least this one was done with uh, love and care. And, We're going to uh, have to have a pretty damn good Patreon account set up for me to fucking watch the birds, too. The birds. <laughs> 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 job with the angles. Um, uh, uh, one of the things about this movie that made it stick out to me was there was so many parts in the movie that I will just never, ever forget. You know, and I, I mean, that's when you know a movie has truly hit you is when scenes just stick out to you. Like the... The fingers trailing down the window as the knife was going up and down in the background. I, I will never forget when he's looking at the door 
And that was actually Anthony Perkins' son, Oz Perkins, when they showed the little, you know, Norman as a as a child thing. Uh. Norman, what did you do to my tea? And then you <laughs> see the the ball in the door. Yeah. Was such striking visuals. Right. And the the score by uh, Jerry Goldsmith was also really good. Star cast and an all star crew doing a sequel to an Alfred Hitchcock's movie. You, you know that that. What more could you ask for? It's a perfect storm. Right. Um, oh, 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 Psycho 2 just, wow, totally blew me away as a child. And I feel that the movie perfectly holds up just as well as the original one does. Basically, I can't believe it's not Hitchcock. <laughs> uh, or I can't believe it, this film isn't talked about more than, you know, or as much as the first it's just hard to get out of the shadow of Psycho 1. You know, if, like I said, if this were just crazy guy who gets driven crazy, you know, I think it would have actually <laughs> held... I think it would be held in higher regard than it is. It was... The thing is, sequels seldom, very seldom, are remembered as much as a first installment. Star Wars is, of course, uh, one of the exceptions, but you know, if this did have a different title, you know, you I'm pretty sure people would have called this the cycle of the 80s and people would remember it a lot more. Hmm. I think it just happens sometimes. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, too, because I'm always interested in hearing what I'm... Uh, yeah. A lot of people actually did not care for this movie. Hmm. Really? A lot of people don't hold this one in high regard. Which, um, you know, coming from us, because we're reviewing a movie, it's kind of funny... Don't believe everything your reviewer says. You know, you your own opinion. <laughs> right. Tomato. And you don't see the, oh, this thing's like at like 38%. This has got to suck. No, this is a great movie. <laughs> um, of course, you, you say like Psycho of the 80s. I'm going to say Psycho 3 is the Psycho of the 80s. <laughs> People look at the Psycho series like it's kind of dignified. Because Alfred Hitchcock did it. Right. Uh, that, that's the best way that I can put it. Is that if, if this was a Sean Cunningham production or a Wes Craven movie, it would be trash. Mm, well, Wes Craven uh, has a little, well, might be able to, because he, he does a, a lot more dignified things than just slashers. Well, he did, seeing as how he's dead. Unless he's come back as a filmmaking <laughs> zombie. What I, you know, basically what I'm saying is, it's just like Psycho um, wasn't looked at as a slasher. It was looked at as a murder mystery type of movie, which Thriller, I guess is yeah. okay. you know, to, to to the civilized world. The, the, this is more of a dignified slasher. You know, this is something where what are the 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 things about slasher movies is that you, you know it's just mindless blood and guts, and here it's more in reality without supernatural elements and and once again because it's got alfred hitchcock's uh, uh fingerprints on it people treat it with a lot more respect right yeah because like psycho 2 gets a little bloody but it's done perfectly where you're just like ow like no it wasn't done to a ridiculous degree right i think that's the interesting thing though it's like how much of uh, Psycho's reputation is perception versus reality? Is that 
so you know goes into the other realm of um it's a, it's an early example of a psychological thriller and it's just it's um well thought out you you can't did, did, were you able to dig up any plot holes really in psycho 2 um i not I don't think not anything that I didn't already discuss of like maybe uh you know the maybe Miss Fool you could argue but it's still then you can also make the argument that you know she probably could have gotten a wait I don't know man hmm. <laughs> uh, Psycho Two it's um it was a wonderful sequel I was. Look up the the trivia and like I can't confirm that all these are true, but apparently in the shooting script there was an extended scene in the sheriff's office at the end of the movie where it's revealed that Mary survived her gunshot. That basically says like she'll pull through okay, but you know she's pretty much committed. That, which I think I'm fine with her being shot, but that's that's just messed up. It, it, but it sends a very clear message. Let shit go, people. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to drive yourself nuts. <laughs> you know. I'm sure, if he, I'm sure if he watches the movie like a million times, you might start to see cracks in it. But overall, it's a pretty great. It's pretty great, you know. That uh, sums up Psycho 2 in my book. How about right. you guys? The way, the way I figure it, this movie could have actually gone completely south it could have been a train wreck but the fact that they were able to think of a plot that just it just works <laughs> oh thank you tom holland yeah you know it's much like watching alien or aliens or you know yeah. this is during the era so what are you gonna say lots i was gonna say as for me uh this really is an excellent sequel that definitely deserves to be more remembered than it is. It really is indeed a I can't believe it's not Hitchcock kind of thing. Well, even you, know, you I, even you, I uh, kind of thought like this is gonna be garbage. Oh yeah, I mean when you think horror sequels, you think crap because that's pretty much all what, what all they are. Because you're like because oh, you think like Psycho two, he goes mad again. Oh really, you know. Yeah, but it actually works. And the big problem right. with a lot of sequels is just the fact that, uh, you know, usually horror movies are good for a movie because they're such a simple idea. And in this, they were able to get two movies out of it. Yeah, there's other sequels, but we'll cover them later. But this actually works. The only thing I found to be really weird is the fact that uh, Spider-Man showed up halfway through the movie and was swinging around. Ah, 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 ah. You know... Uh, just imagine if Tom Holland didn't play Spider-Man, and then that, that joke would fall flat. <laughs> Tom Holland for playing Spider-Man and giving plenty of ammunition. Uh, what'd you say, Wolfman? Run out of webbing. <laughs> um, Psycho 2 definite watch. And um, this wraps up this edition of The Real Bad Dude. So this is Wolfman. Rage killer. <laughs> yeah, Psycho 2. Huh. Well, uh, You've already got to this part of the podcast, so hopefully you've seen it. If you still haven't seen it, well, what are you waiting for? Go see it! <laughs> <laughs>